Well, good morning. Oh, is everybody awake? Did you have a good Christmas? No, some, some people aren't awake. Yeah. So do we need to do some jumping jacks? Probably so. Yeah, it gives you a chance to get your blood moving, burn some of those calories, and wake up, right? Maybe not. Okay. All right. Well, we're glad you're here with us. And uh, if you're in Kidmo, you're in here with us today, which you're, I know, super excited about that. And, um, but I tell you, for your New Year's gift, uh, I took my sermon and I cut it in half for this morning. So you're welcome. Um, I've done that before. It doesn't necessarily change how long I talk, but uh, I think it will today. Uh, But I do have some things I want to share with you before I do that. Uh, we had a great time last weekend, had a great time together, and uh, had a lot of fun. I, I was surprised how many stayed around for so long, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I've been praying for, for that kind of thing to happen. You guys have really just, uh, you know, you love each other and spend time together and catch up, and I love it. I love it. That's part of what being a church is about, and so that was just good for, that was a Christmas gift for me, um, just to, to I, not that we don't see it regularly, but just to be reminded what a great community we are. Uh, I know a lot of people are sleeping in today, a lot of people are traveling today, and folks will be joining us next week. Uh, Let me tell you where we're headed over the next few weeks today. Uh, I was going to couch this in a little different uh, context, but I decided just to stay with Prince of Peace because I want to talk to you about a secret weapon um, for having peace and it's, it's kind of bringing everything together we've talked about. At the same time, it's something we haven't really touched a whole lot on so far. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Next week, we're going to be having another baby dedication. Uh, we've got two babies that we're going to be dedicating um, that were not able to be here last week. And then the following week, on January 13th, we're going to be having a baptism service here. And so if you are interested in either of those, then come and talk to me and let me know. If you see, I don't know if Natalia's in here. I don't know where she's back in the back. Be praying for Natalia. They came walking in this morning, and I was like, what are you doing here? So I don't know. I texted her a couple of days ago, and I said, how are you feeling? She said, well, I think I'm beginning labor, and uh, and here she is. So, uh, you know, we may have a really exciting service this morning, Um, and Glenn is ready to to jump in and and deliver that baby if need be. Right, Glenn? No. (laughs) He's saying, no, 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 no. so anyways, be praying for them. Sometime this week, this baby's coming, either naturally or we'll receive some encouragement. <laughs> so that's going to be happening this week. So be praying for Natalia, for the baby, for the family um, as they're going through that. Uh, Deidre and I are celebrating our anniversary today, uh, which we're excited about. Um, I just saw her for the first time about two and a half minutes ago and said happy anniversary because I was up and gone before they were up this morning. Uh, it's 24 years for us which is, yeah, thank you, uh, which is made more amazing the more you know me, <laughs> that she stuck around this long. Uh, but anyway, so we're excited uh, to celebrate our anniversary today and to spend it with you. And I'm excited about things that are coming. Uh, this next year, I, there are two fundamental uh, areas that I want us to focus on in the coming year. I'm going to share a little bit of one of those with you today. And then starting next week, begin sharing the other. That doesn't mean that's all that we're going to be doing. But two things that I think are crucial for us moving forward as a church, not just in our own development uh, as followers of Christ, but our development as a church and continuing to be the church that Jesus told us to be. Um, If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be in that today. 
Some of you are anxious to get back home. Anybody get some good stuff for Christmas? Who got something good for Christmas? A Nintendo Switch? Hey, what time can I come over? Never. Never? I'll be on my way, Braden. I'm going to be on my way. Anybody else get some good stuff? Yeah, what'd you get, Gene? Yeah, I got some CDs. What else? Anybody else get some good stuff? Yeah. <laughs> We're not saying. <laughs> We're not saying. I got to spend time with Jesus. Somebody wants to say, but they're not going to say it because they know there'll be a collective sigh if they do. But um, anyways, I hope you did have a good Christmas. Uh, I want to share with you a, a story that you're familiar with and, uh, and then just break it down in a few different ways for us to understand what I think is one of the secret weapons to peace. Now, if you've been following along with us, there is, there is a direct correlation between being content and being at peace. We've spent the last four weeks preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of Christ, which is something that we shouldn't stop now. It should continue throughout the year. But part of the promise of Christ was that he was going to give us something that we didn't know we needed and it would satisfy us in ways that nothing else could. We could be content. When we read in Scripture uh, places where we are commanded or instructed to be content, you probably read them the way I often do, like, well, okay, I will do my best, but contentment is not something you can force. Peace is not something you can force. Now, some of you had some Christmas experiences with family and friends that you're glad Christmas is over and you forced peace, right? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit here. We're going to do this thing. Then we're going to get out of here. You know, I'm going to bite my tongue and I'm just, I'm going to pray that God just, uh, you know, comes over me and, you know, you forced peace is still not peace though, right? Because all through that time, there's anxiousness and there's stress and there's fear that you're not going to hold it together or they're going to say something that you hope they won't say. And you can't force this stuff. Instead, what Jesus is saying is there's a way to follow him that brings fullness and contentment. And if you read through, I was, I was reading through Revelation, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, just on my reading plan. And I, I came across something, and I'm going to share it with you in a few minutes. I came across something that just, I don't know, in the moment it struck a chord with me, and I don't know if it was because I was, you know, it was lunchtime or what, but, but in, in Revelation 7 literally says that in the time in which we spend with God in heaven, we will never hunger again. Now, I don't know about you, I don't go hungry very often, right? Some of you are going to be going hungry starting on Tuesday. It's your New Year's resolution. Right? You're going to go hungry and it's going to last until about Tuesday evening around six o'clock. <laughs> you know, maybe Wednesday, maybe, maybe longer. I noticed I went to the gym this weekend and it was absolutely packed. It will be that way for the next three and a half weeks and then it'll empty out again and we'll, I'll get my gym back. So, uh, anyways, one of the fundamental themes throughout scripture, if you follow it, is the theme of hunger. Now, in two different ways. One, certainly, there is a place of hunger that leads us to, to suffering. I mean, we're hungering so much that we don't have, whether it be food or thirsting, we need drink or something else in which we just feel lost all the time. I need it. I need more. I don't have enough. 
But then there's a hunger for things that are good. There's a hunger for things that have a return to them that last well beyond their ability to consume. Whenever we went to different families, like you probably spent time with different people, or if not, in your own home, we ate way more than we should have this week. And I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> I didn't feel great at the moment, though, you know? You know, when you eat so much and you're like, I should not have done that. You know, there is a place and a time to be filled, but that kind of filling, by the next morning, I'm ready to eat again. Now, the reality is, is that there is a hunger talked about in Scripture that will be filled eternally. And that is tied to a level of satisfaction or to contentment or to peace that it is sometimes difficult for us to comprehend. So let's look at John chapter 4 together, beginning with verse 1. There's really two parts to this story. It's all the same story. Uh, We're going to do the first part and then we'll uh, jump to the second. Starts in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a, t- the, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Je- <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, this part in the story, they've been traveling. They've come to an area that is not held in high esteem by Jews. And, but Jesus is tired, and Jesus is thirsty, and he's sitting against this well. Now, if you followed any of the stories in the New Testament about the Samaritans, they are not someone that you speak of highly. Now, what I would like for you to do as part of our time going through this story is to fill the, the word Samaritan with any other group of people that you can think of especially any marginalized group of people within the world, that is the Samaritans in the eyes of a Jew. So he comes to this well, he's sitting against this well, and in verse 7 it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, to understand why she says this is to look back over the history of what it means to be a Jewish man and a Jewish teacher. Because there were a few things you didn't do. Well, you didn't speak to Samaritans, which is why the story of the Good Samaritan is so important for us today. And the celebration of a Samaritan in a time when Samaritans were not celebrated In addition, men did not speak to women in public. It just didn't happen. You didn't even speak to your wife in public. You would do that in private. This is part of where when Paul says women should be silent in the church, we understand that not as an advocation for the way church should be, but he is just reiterating the culture in which they existed. That culture is not the same culture we're in today. Jesus is speaking to her. And that's why she says, why are you talking to me? Because she knows that Jews don't speak to women. Now, what she doesn't yet know is that Jesus is also a rabbi, a teacher. 
Now, Jewish teachers, not only did they not speak to women in public, they did not speak to Samaritans about spiritual things because they couldn't comprehend in their minds those spiritual things. It was beneath them, and so they wouldn't speak to them at all. So even so far at this point in this story, what we see is Jesus crashing through acceptable practices of the time to talk to her. That's why she says this. She knows this. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank it from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, which is our problem with hunger. We get hungry again. It's a problem with thirst. We get thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, for her, this is a misunderstanding of what he's saying. If you're traveling to the well every day to get water for your household, and you have the option not to do that like we do, we just have it flowing into our kitchens, you want it. I don't want to have to come down here and fill up buckets every single day for every single thing we need water for. If you've got it, give it to me. Now, Jesus is about to reframe this whole conversation, but before we do this, I want us to see two significant things that Jesus is doing here. One, which is, you know, is easy, is that he's thirsty and he wants something to drink. But beyond that, we see that Jesus is breaking down social walls at this point. They separated observant Jews from, quote, undesirable people. So we fill in that word undesirable with whoever in our culture we see as undesirable. Those who don't have something to offer us. Those who are not clean. Those who do not uh, you know, live the way we think they should live. Those who don't vote the way we think they should vote. Those people who don't worship the way we think they should worship. So he is breaking through these walls. And it is significant that we see this. And there are many sermons based on this point but if we stop here then we miss the rest of the story because jesus has more to share with the samaritan woman this was not all he wanted to leave her with hey listen give me a drink and if you knew who i was the messiah then you would know that i could give you living water you would never thirst again but what i do want you to see here is that he is offering something that satisfies a hunger that makes it go away forever The second thing that we see is that he wants to satisfy her inner hunger and thirst. I don't know about you all. We had some real struggles this Christmas with one person in our household anticipating the coming of Christmas morning. Did anybody else have that problem? I mean, she could not stand it when Christmas came, which is you know not hard to understand knowing that you know, she's still at an age that doesn't understand and can't, isn't quite mature enough to, to grasp waiting and patience. But at the same time, she somewhat remembers a time when she had great want and, and she never had enough. So the idea that there were presents for her was just overwhelming. I mean, every single day. Do I get to open presents today? No, not, not today. Ah! You, know, you could see, I mean, anxiety. And I don't mean like she was disappointed. I mean anguish. I mean just, oh, I can't believe it. Sometimes she would do that. Ah, 
ah, you know, do you ever do that? No, you don't do that, do you? <laughs> happens in our house. And, and, and just waiting. In fact, when Christmas Eve came and she got to open a couple of presents and Jonathan had gotten her a really special gift that she really wanted. And, and so she got to open it and it was bliss. I mean, just bliss. She was so happy, big smile on her face. I said, Malia, you, and I gave it, gave it away. You thought it was Deidre. I know, didn't you? But it wasn't, it was Malia. And so this huge smile on her face, you made it, Malia. It's Christmas Eve. You know what tomorrow is? It's Christmas. You know what we get to do on Christmas? Get to open presents. Oh, she couldn't wait. And then we were shocked on Christmas morning when no one was up. I was shocked. No one else was shocked. Everyone else was asleep. I had to go wake everybody up Christmas morning. It was the greatest Christmas gift I've ever received. It was, <laughs> it was wonderful. So I went and woke everybody up and told Malia, Malia, it's time to get up. Boom, she's up. You know, usually she's like, oh, she's moving slow. You got to hold her. You know, she wakes up. If you rush her too quick, it's just like a, an atom bomb has gone off in our house. Boom, she was up and she was ready to go. She came down and just went berserk and opened all her presents. She was satisfied. She was full. She was complete. She was at peace. All that anxiety about waiting for Christmas morning. It was here. I said, Malia, you made it. You made it. See, sometimes we have to wait and you made it. You know, I was going to make this into a spiritual, you know, lesson on Christmas morning. Not a good idea, by the way, with a four-year-old, but you made it. The next day we were headed out and we said, well, we've got to stop by the store. And she said, do we get to go get me a present? It's like, no, Malia, you just have tons of presents. A couple of days after, you know, family were going out, spending time together. Let's go do some shopping. I don't know why, but let's go do some shopping. Do I get to buy a toy? No, you've already got all this stuff. You know, we got so many toys now. And the reality is, is that's the way most of us live our lives. We get hungry. We get satisfied for a moment. And then we get hungry again. Now, if we go through this and, and we try to understand all that he's teaching here, it, it, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle because you and I live lives of constant hunger. Now, your hunger may be different than food. Your constant hunger may not be that you're thirsty. Your constant hunger may be for acceptance. It may be for love. It may be for someone to recognize you or recognize your accomplishments or just to encourage you. It may be somebody just to apologize to you. You're just hungry for somebody to apologize for a deep wound or a deep hurt that you have. Sometimes it is stuff, right? Like, I just got to have one more. I've got all this great stuff, but I've just got to have one more. This ceases to satisfy. It was fun for a while, and now I need something else. That hunger, you know how it feels, that it's just not enough. Sometimes it has nothing to do with stuff, and it's at work. At work, if I just had this position, if I just had this title, if I just had this pay raise, then it would be enough. And then you get there and then all of a sudden it's not enough anymore. And I remember early on when we were starting out and we had nothing and uh, we, as soon as we would get a pay raise, oh, it was just like, we are set for life now. And then within, oh, a couple of months, 
you know, that was gone. We were spending it on something else. And then it was like, oh, we're right back to where we were. All this extra we're getting now, it's not extra anymore. We've just expanded. The reality is that that's the way many of us live our lives. And the reason that so many of us struggle with peace is because we never satisfy a deeper hunger within us. Instead, we just jump from one satisfying meal to the next. And if we miss one or two, then our lives begin to look bad to us. What Jesus is saying to her is, I have something more to offer you. Luke 6.21 says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. This is a promise of Jesus. This is an incredible promise that if we reach back to Revelation 7 or all throughout Scripture, you find that Jesus uses hunger not just as a teaching moment, but as a very real reality to drive us to the thing that brings us true satisfaction. You know, I've shared many times over the years uh, the World Health Organization's uh, survey of most satisfied people in the world. And you would think that that would go along with you know, GDP or, you know, earned income by, you know, capita or something like that, that somewhere that if your income went up, your satisfaction with life went up. But they found really the opposite. That some of the most desolate, poorest places in the world had the greatest sense of satisfaction in life. And some of the most affluent areas in the world had the least amount of satisfaction in life. That's significant. Because most of us will spend our lives trying to accumulate the thing that will satisfy the hunger that is within us only to find that everything we try to satisfy it with fails. And we need something else. Is it possible that some of us are missing peace and when we talk about the Prince of Peace, we are missing it because we are trying to be satisfied with something that cannot satisfy. Something that just cannot do that. We look up hunger. What is the definition of hunger? It's a feeling of discomfort or weakness caused by lack of food coupled with the desire to eat. You now know what, hung, what it means to be hungry, right? <laughs> now you know. There's a definition. But what if we understood hunger in a deeper context, not just in what we eat or what our, when our stomach rumbles because we're hungry, and some of you are rumbling right now. I told Scott, you know, I cut my sermon in half. He said, good, because I'm already hungry. <laughs> He's already thinking about lunch. He's so spiritual. <laughs> Let Karen just laugh. <laughs> but what if we understood hunger in a bigger context, and instead of being about food, what if hunger was, next one, a feeling of discomfort caused by the lack of... Fill in that blank for yourself. Coupled with the desire to get, fill in that blank. What is it for you? Don't have to answer that. You need to answer it for yourself because that is the deepest motive that is driving you within your life. Richard Rohr describes us pursuing the true self, the false self being that person that we are driving at that is not who we authentically are, but instead is what we are hiddenly motivated by, the true self being when we fully become the person we were created to be. See, when you begin to understand those hidden motives that drive us, 
shared my testimony before in high school. I uh, had grown up in the church. I felt like I was a Christian, but my life didn't go very well. You know, life was great compared to, you know, if all the measurements of life, I was well taken care of. We had plenty at home. I never went hungry, you know, I, but I didn't feel at peace inside. And so I began to strive to be at peace with people I went to school with. And so whatever it took to kind of be in with the in crowd, I began to do just because I wanted to fit in like everybody wants to fit in. My hidden motive was just to fit in. And it drove me to some pretty empty places to which Christ finally said, I need you to realize this is, you'll never get there this way. And in a moment of repentance and just experiencing Christ, I began to realize what I was really driven by was the fear of not being accepted, which is a constant fear in middle and high school. And that was driving the way I lived my life. What are the hidden motives driving the way you lived your life? The good question here is, what are you most looking for? What do you pray most for? What do you think about all the time? What do you daydream about? If you could have one thing today, if I had the ability to give you one thing today, what would it be that you perceive would make you whole and full, happy, and satisfied. Would it be food? Some it may be food. We have people that worship with us and we have people that occasionally are involved with the things that we do that they just need something to eat and sometimes we just need to feed them. What is that thing you cannot live without? Food. Good, Braden. That's right. Food. You got me. But what about acceptance? What about success? What about overcoming failure? What about people patting you on the back? Does that feel good? In your relationships with other people, how are you interacting with people? What are they giving you? What are you looking for from them? What are you hoping that they're going to provide? Is it recognition? Is it encouragement? If someone walks up to you and just encourages you, do you just feel like you just breathed in and you stand a few feet taller? What is it that fills your hunger? Is it what's true or what's right? Is it God? Is it Christ? What is that thing you hunger for that you want more of, that you know you don't have enough of? I was watching one of my favorite movies, which, you know, don't laugh. It wasn't a great movie, but it's still one of my favorites. I grew up watching Tron. Does anybody remember Tron? We watched Tron in school, the first one. That was a long time ago, you know, somebody had to crank the reel to make it play. I'm just kidding, that didn't happen, but um, it was somewhat formative and, and it helped launch kind of my, my love of, of science fiction and things like that, and so then they came out with a, a Neutron, and I watched it over Christmas, and I thought it was so funny, they were talking about, they were rolling out a new operating system for the world, and one of the main characters asked, well, what's new about this version that we're charging so much for? <laughs> and the CEO says, we put, a, we put a different number on the box. I thought, oh, man, that is so true. That is so true. And the reality is, is that we are conditioned to continue to consume. 
We are conditioned to get more, to use up what we have. An amazing trend that's happening in software and licensing is that you are increasingly losing the opportunity to own something. You're not going to own it. It's like leasing a car. You're just going to pay for the use of it, and then you have to give it back. Within licensing, you're going to have to you're going to have to pay a monthly fee in order to get it, whether it be something like Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music is eventually going to take over iTunes and so that they're not going to sell you something that you own. Instead, you're just going to pay a monthly fee to be able to play it. I use a lot of Adobe products. They started this trend. I don't know if they started it, but they certainly ramped up this trend where it used to we could buy a product and we paid one fee, but now we pay every month to use it. It's because that we're conditioned to keep consuming, to not stop, to not be satisfied, not to purchase, and then we're done. But we've got to have more. We've got to have something else. That's the trend. We are conditioned to consume. That's what drives our nation. That's what drives our government because it is our consumption that allows us to have increased salaries, that allows us to pay more taxes. It's how our corporations continue to grow and continue to get more. Whereas I would have spent maybe 15 bucks on a song. Now I'm going to start spending 15 bucks a month to listen to that song. See, we're conditioned to consume. We're conditioned to be in a place to not be satisfied, to not say it's done. There has to be more. And what Jesus is offering is that you can come to a place within your life that hunger ceases. Matthew 5, 6 even encourages us what to hunger for in, in the direction of. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And Revelation 7 tells us that part of heaven is not being hungry anymore. And I hope you're following with me. We're not talking about food anymore. Part of heaven is not hungry anymore. This is what we read in Revelation 7, starting with verse 13. When one of the elders addressed me, this is the vision, the teachings of Jesus' vision to John, who is passing it along to us. Who are these? One of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That are, he's talking about those that know Christ and have been covered by his blood. We have been forgiven by his sacrifice. Verse 15 says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Verse 16 says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I told you that the story of the Samaritan woman was really twofold. That just the story of offering living water is not just talking about the coming gospel, but he goes on, and, and what he's going to show us is that you will worship 
what you believe will fill you. He makes a turn here. So we're moving away from just being filled to the fact that we actually will worship that thing in which we believe will fill us. If we go back to John chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I would say when he knows something about your life, I think the reason Jesus is bringing this up is what was her need? What was she hungering for? Companionship? To be loved? To not be alone? To be wanted? Going from person to person, trying to be filled with that thing that does not fill. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she says. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I speak to you, am he. I who speak to you, am he. And this is where our faith has to take a turn from what we're supposed to do to who are we really. Because you will worship what you believe will fill you. You will worship what you believe will fill your deepest need. What do you feel is your deepest need today? As we come into a new year, it's a time where we think about new beginnings, new starts. What am I going to do differently this year? What do you perceive as your deepest need? Is it money? Is it more friends? Are you looking for a new job? What is it that you perceive is going to fulfill your deepest need? Is it having the next big thing? Is it more likes on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? What is the thing that feeds you? Because we can create a monster that nothing can satisfy within us. Or we can find something that leads us to more. When you think about what we worship, I I really... One of the ways we identify what it is we're worshiping is where do we spend our time on? What do we daydream about? What are we constantly thinking about? What is that pursuit that we're constantly going after? Those are hard questions sometimes to answer. Again, they, hidden, they, they go back to the hidden motives of what's going on in our heart, and those hidden motives are who we truly are. Not who we pretend to be, not who we act like we are. What is it that you're really going for, looking for, is to be in better shape, to work less, to have more free time? Is it to have a better spouse? Is it to be a better spouse? 
What is it that you are hungering for, that you perceive is going to make you satisfied that if I have this thing, just like Malia, if I have this present, I'm going to be good until tomorrow when I want something else. What is that thing that you're hungering about? What would it look like to never hunger or want again? Now, I'd like to stand up here and tell you exactly what that feels like, cause I, but I don't know. <laughs> I still have desires and wants and uh, hunger for things, and you know, I still think about things I'd like to have that I don't have. But, but just imagine with me for a moment, what would it look like to never hunger or want again, to be fully satisfied? How would that change the way you spend your time? How would that w- change the way you think about what's going on in your life? How would that change your thoughts about work and about home, about raising kids, or about entering retirement? How how would that change the way you saw the world if you didn't hunger or want anything? What would it look like to be completely satisfied? Like, I'm good. I mean, I'm great. What would it look like? Psalm 22, 26 says, To Uh, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So that in which we are seeking will or will not satisfy us. There is only one thing that we can worship that will bring satisfaction. John 4, 23 and 24 again. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers... We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let me me just close with these questions. What do you desire most in your life? Spend some time this week thinking about that. What do you desire most? It is probable that whatever that thing is, is the thing that holds the center point of your life. The center point of your life. It is that thing that you worship. The truth is, is that we can deceive ourselves in this regard. We can deceive the people around us. We cannot deceive God. When we stand before Him and one day He looks at us and He passes judgment, or we are pardoned because of, the, because of the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter what we've convinced ourselves of. What matters is what is true. Coming to the answer to this question is so crucial. What do we desire most in this life? Is it to be filled through Christ? Or is it to get everything out of this world that we can? Another question to help maybe make this a little clearer. What do you fear you will never have? What do you fear that you will never have? That's what's most important to you. What are you afraid that you're not going to have? Another question. What would life look like if you had everything you ever wanted? So when we go back and we look at hunger through Scripture, God has used hunger time 
and time again. As the Hebrews left Egypt and they walked through the desert, God used hunger in order to teach them to follow him. And he provided them manna so that they would have what they needed for that day. And every day they were commanded, only pick what you need for that day, except on the weekends. On the weekends, pick double so you have enough to get you through the weekend because I will not supply it then. I'll supply it back again the first of the week. And so through their hunger, they had to learn to rely on him. One of the practices that we don't practice a lot, but yet Scripture talks about a lot, is a practice of fasting. In the practice of fasting, we choose not to eat. We allow the hunger to come. And in place of choosing something to satisfy it with, some whatever we love to eat, so that that pain and that rumbling goes away, instead, in those moments, pray and seek Christ. Because that reminds us that that hunger that is going on within our bellies is signifying a deeper hunger within our hearts. He's used hunger consistently to remind us that there, we are consumers. And there is only one thing that fully satisfies, and that is Him. So what does it look like to not hunger anymore? What if the key to peace in your life is simply redefining what satisfies your hunger? And instead of trying to get that thing, the more money, the better job, the, the nicer car, the you know, pat on the back from someone who's important, the encouragement from someone that means something to you, or, forgive, or someone offering you forgiveness, or asking for forgiveness that has hurt you. What if that was not the driving hunger within our lives? Would it change the way we interact with people? Would it change the way we interact with God? See, what we worship is what we believe will fill us. But here's the hidden secret to all of this. What Christ is offering the the woman, the Samaritan woman, and what he's offering us today is that when we seek him, he will satisfy us. doesn't mean you won't ever have, you won't ever get hungry. It's not like, oh, I have Jesus. I'm just not ever going to eat again. We can save some money that way. You can also die, you know, that it... That's the way it goes. I remember when I was in seminary, we had a student that was really, he had, was attending uh, a church and they did not believe in any medication whatsoever. He was a severe diabetic. And so they had convinced him that he should never take his medicine again and just trust the Lord. And he did. And he died because he was a severe diabetic. It's not that I'm going to love Jesus. So now I don't need anything else you know what, we're just going to turn off our our utilities. It's going to get really cold. (laughs) Or it's going to get really hot. Right? We're just going to live outside. We don't need a house anymore. Well, okay. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you'll never have another need, but he's saying once you have this most important need filled, then everything else will be taken care of. And that's where he says, because you will trust me and I will provide for you. As we enter into 2019, perhaps we can enter into 2019 recognizing that it is time for us to change how we're trying to satisfy the hunger within our hearts. And what we find through this, and I hope that you'll spend some time studying and praying through this, is that when we fully worship God, 
we are fully filled and fully at peace. I love our worship team. I'm thankful for them. Uh, I know it, they all have very busy lives and that this worship is an important thing to them. I don't know if you know Josh is not only leading worship here, but he also has a job and a family and is also going to school. <laughs> He's going back to school to become a pharmacist. I remember when Leslie started worshiping, uh, help not begin worshiping, I don't remember when that was, but whenever she started leading worship, and how far she has come in leading us in worship, and how worship just, I'm just watching her this morning, worship comes for her new friends, like Aaron, who's not really a new friend anymore, has been with us for a while now, and Murphy, and I just, as we worship, let it be more than a song we sing. Let it be more than getting through the melody or the harmony or what, however you sing. Let it not be about, oh, I like that song. Which, it's okay to like these songs or not like some songs more than others. But not that I like that song, but you are the object that I most want to have in my life. I worship you freely and fully. When we sing, we don't sing in just a way in which we are mouthing the words or we just don't go through to get to the end of the song because it's time to go. But instead, it is the prayer of our hearts that say, you are our God. We love you. You are everything to us. And so as I sing, I sing my praise to you. Do you know that Scripture, we'll look at this next week, Scripture tells us that your prayers and your praises are are accumulated in heaven, and heaven is illuminated by them. My prayer, one of the things we're going to be focusing on in this coming year, and my prayer for us today and every day, is that we will experience worship as it was meant to be. And that you will find peace and fullness by being completely filled by Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for all that you have given us. I thank you for the peace that we have through the Holy Spirit. I thank you that we are at peace with you. And uh, Father, I thank you that we do not have to hunger again. I pray for those in this room that they are hungry and perhaps they grew up in a system that that made hunger a virtue. But God, you have made satisfaction and contentment, peace and being full, being perfected, being completed. That is a virtue. I pray that if we are going to hunger for something, it will be for you and it will be for your righteousness. And I pray for those in this room that we would be filled as we enter into a new year, that you would show us all that you are wanting to accomplish in our lives. Help us to be our true selves in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.